On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we'll look back at week one, the college football playoff expansion, glance at the top 25, and preview week two. Alright guys, welcome in to episode 2 of Neyland's Basement. I am your host, Tucker Harlan, alongside Dominic Throngard and Devin Hope. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing great. I cannot believe this weekend of college football we had. What a great re- week one. Just super cool to see all of that action in the first week. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. It's so great how you could turn on one TV and see one type of game, UNC App State, and then turn on another TV or turn on to another channel and see a completely different type of game in Iowa and South Dakota State. It was just absolutely mind-blowing and incredible. I can't wait to get into it here. Yeah, guys, a lot of uh, blowouts, a lot of upsets, a lot of surprises. So naturally, we are going to start off with the biggest surprise of the weekend. Tennessee took down Ball State 59-10 in Neyland Stadium. Uh, guys, the Vols really had this thing won in the first two plays. That's that's kind of how I felt about it. What, what about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And just, it was, uh, one thing I really loved about this game is I went there and the place was packed for a week one Thursday night game. That's pretty incredible. I'm like really, really impressed with the fan base here because I remember being at the Bowling Green game last year. And it, w- it was fairly full, but we got like, I think it was around 92,000 for this one. And it was closer to 80,000 for the Bowling Green one last year. So really cool to see Neyland get packed, even from the jump against a team that's, you know, not so great. Yeah, that that I'm glad you brought that point up because that is absolutely incredible. Like, for instance, uh, I don't know how much of you guys saw the Rice and USC game, but here's USC, number 14 in the nation, the stadium looked like barely over half full and and I know they're playing rice but they got a team that's one of the favorites to win their conference a team that's quote-unquote back and yet there's hardly anybody showing up yet big orange shows up for ball state so that was really really cool to see the stadium looked absolutely packed and it was wonderful yeah obviously people are excited for Heupel's second year here at UT and you know also let's give some credit to ball state they really came out they really you know, shot their shot early on. They went forward on a couple of fourth down plays, uh, came out with that trick play. Obviously, it didn't end well for <laughs> them, but, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do against a team like that. You got to have fun in a scenario like that against a team that you're probably not expecting to win against in the first yeah, week. Yeah, and I like the way Ball State was moving the ball down the field. Obviously, they, they got pretty close to scoring and then made the crucial mistake uh ball going through the end zone you know turnover there so it was either you know a touchdown or a turnover so they had a touchdown basically taken away in the first half um so but they moved the ball uh pretty well once they got kind of into the game uh you know paddock made some good plays his receivers uh johines tyler jay sean jackson they made some good uh ran some good routes to get open uh so there were some concerns for me uh based on tennessee's pass rush uh based on their secondary play to me the biggest concern was the pass rush ball state does not have a terrible offensive line but tennessee is going to go up against far superior offensive lines this season than that uh florida's offensive line coming up soon uh so tennessee has to find a better way to get more pressure to those types of quarterbacks like anthony richardson especially after we saw what he was able to do against utah and they have to find a way to figure that out very soon otherwise it it could get ugly there yeah i definitely agree and like the defense with tennessee it did show like even though the scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect it, if you watch the game, you could see the defense was giving up some pretty big yardage uh, against a team, you know, that's not amazing. So definitely some concerns there, especially with third down uh, conversions. I think Ball State went around 50% on third down conversions, which not a good look. And uh, that was one of Tennessee's yeah. biggest weaknesses from last season. Yeah, But, but I, I'm going to take this in a little bit more of a positive manner here. Tennessee did force a couple of turnovers, yep. and that's that's definitely huge for the defense. You know, it it struggled a lot last season to really get off the field, but, you know, producing turnovers is a great way to do that. They had two of them. Uh, so 
in that regard, I think Tennessee did show that they had improved some. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we're going to see a little bit more of that this week against Pittsburgh. Speaking of Pittsburgh, they took down West Virginia in the backyard brawl at home 38-31. to This was a spectacular game, and honestly, I – I hate to say this, but I think Pittsburgh got a little bit lucky there in the yep. end with the way things ended there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have to agree with you there. And just my main takeaway here actually is JT Daniels looked really good for West Virginia, and I was shocked to see that. So I'm wondering how that's going to shake out for the Big 12 and just a conference that's looking more and more competitive this season based on all the performances I've seen from them so far. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. The Big 12, honestly, this first weekend looked fantastic. Uh, you know, when we talk about our conference winners and losers, obviously the SEC, big winner. The Big 12 is a pretty big winner. The Pac-12 is a pretty big loser, as we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, Daniels looked really, really good. Obviously, uh, that pick, not really his fault. No. Bryce Ford Wheaton, who uh, had an incredible game. Uh, he just made one tough mistake. Uh, and and it turned out to work extremely well in Pittsburgh's favor. Yeah, there, and, returning and the, wor the, the worst part about that pick too was that there was not a defender within two yards of Bryce Fort Wheaton. Mm. So that that one really hurt for West Virginia to lose uh, on that that kind of note. Um, you know, just just a brutal way to end that game for them. Uh, so that was one of the big games that happened on Thursday. The other big one, it was not a ranked matchup, but Penn State going on the road and beating Purdue thirty-five to thirty-one in Ross Aid Stadium. Sean Clifford really had the performance of a lifetime, threw for four touchdowns, rushed for one as well. Uh, what, what do we think about Penn State going into a pretty hostile environment of Purdue and coming away with a win? Well, it proves that uh, James Franklin is still among one of the elite head coaches in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, Penn State has, I, I would say, a slight talent edge over Purdue anyways because of how they've been recruiting. Even though Purdue last season has had the much better season and has a lot of momentum heading into this year, uh, I was pretty high on Purdue heading into the season. I'm still decently high on them. I think Penn State has a tremendous amount of talent. They've got a good ground game. They've got some really talented receivers for Clifford uh, to work with, uh, like Lambert Smith, Parker Washington. So he, he really uh, was able to just uh, do well there. And then I think Aiden O'Connell, uh, you know, he definitely got outplayed by Clifford a little bit. He showed some nerves that I don't think will be there throughout the whole season. He was getting a ton of hype, you know, second uh, all Big Ten quarterback from last year. So I think all the hype just made him a bit too amped up. I think he'll settle down as the season goes on. But, yeah, huge win for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, just really impressed by Penn State here. I was not expecting them to come out. And, honestly, I wasn't expecting this game to be this competitive. Uh, nonetheless, a Penn State win. And Penn State, they're a team that just feels like hasn't been relevant in a while. And so I was expecting them to re remain pretty quiet. But – after watching that game, I this is a team that looks like they can actually start working their way back into the Big Ten and becoming a relevant team again, which would be really unique to see uh, after so many years being out of the spotlight and then obviously a lot of controversy in the past 10 years or so at Penn State. But Purdue, uh, a little bit disappointing for them. They really, that was a key matchup to win to start their season off at home, conference game. So it should make this it should make winning the Big Ten West a lot more difficult of a path for Purdue, and I'm not sure they can pull it off. Yeah, I definitely liked Purdue going into this one as well because I'd seen some of the upsets that they had pulled off in years past. Obviously, they blew out Ohio State that one time. They've had a couple against Iowa at home. Uh, Michigan State was a big one last year. They took down Kenneth Walker and Michigan State at home. So I was really thinking they would do it against Penn State because they – you know, Penn State had fallen off at the end of last year a little bit, so I was thinking Purdue will have the momentum going in, but that's not the way it turned out. So, with that being said, let's move on to our Saturday games. And the, the noon slate was pretty fun this Saturday. Uh, we got to see number 13 NC State go to East Carolina. This game, NC State nearly choked it away, uh, but thanks to the East Carolina kicker, they did not. Uh, so they managed to get out of their 21-20. to if you like points, UNC went to Appalachian State, won that game 63-61. to Appalachian State outscored UNC 40-22 to in the fourth quarter. I heard something about Caleb Love having 30 points and Armando Baycott scoring a double-double. <laughs> oh, wait, this is, this is football. Uh, but all jokes aside, they actually did outscore them in the, football, or the basketball game that they had 
uh, I guess, last December because this game, obviously, 124 points between them. And the basketball game, it was 70 to 50. That's 120 points. <laughs> so pretty shocking result there. And if you don't like points. <laughs> if you hate them. Yeah. Iowa beat South Dakota State 7-3. to I know what you're thinking. Iowa scored a touchdown. That's two safeties and a field goal. That's not a touchdown. They were up 5-3 to going into the fourth quarter, and that happened. So, guys, what do we think of this noon slate? Just, just a wild noon slate here as far as headlines are concerned. I loved it. It was so much fun just flipping back and forth between all these games. I couldn't, I couldn't pick one a lot of the times. Uh, well, I didn't really choose the Iowa one if I'm being honest. Oh, but really? Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not too big of a fan of defenses outscoring offenses. But um that NC NC State game was insane. I oh man, that poor poor kicker. I mean, I'm no stranger to kickers being the evil villains of the town with uh my Boise State background. <laughs> I'm pretty sure any Boise State fan listening will remember the name Kyle Bratzman, but Poor Owen Daffer, ECU's kicker, misses the uh, extra point and then misses the field goal to win it. It it really should have been a win for ECU. And this game's actually interesting, too, because I know a lot of people were really, really high on NC State coming into the season. I don't, I, I'm not seeing the team they were high on. Uh, this NC State team looked unsure most of the game and just I didn't really feel an identity out of them. It just kind of felt like they were playing football in a sense if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. just not really not really any focus uh uh, yeah just incredible noon slate yeah yeah no no identity just kind of going through the motions there yeah I I think a lot of people were really high on NC State this season because of Devin Leary at quarterback because there was a lot of belief that he could be the best quarterback in the ACC um and and it really just did not uh come to fruition in this game but East Carolina at home is a tough team. People really underestimate that. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, they almost came away with the victory. I do feel bad for their kicker. He was an all-conference kicker last season, so he is actually one of the best kickers in the conference. But you know, people are not going to remember that because of this terrible game. Hopefully for him, he bounces back. Uh, absolutely crazy game. I did not think NC State deserved to fall five spots from that uh, close victory. A, they won. But B, I mean, I feel like they really should have only dropped like one or two because they still got the victory. So I feel like NC State got slighted there. UNC App State, extremely fun game. And and of course, Iowa, South Dakota State, it was so exciting that there was this Iowa fan that fell asleep during the game. It was off in the sideline <laughs> that the crew ended up showing this guy with the sunglasses in a, in a tank top shirt. This big guy, they're like, all right, they got the safety. Let's see what's going Oh, he's asleep. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yep. Who knew noon games could be so exciting? <laughs> so with with all the noon talk, let's move on to some of the mid-afternoon conversation now. Our next matchup was one of the more underrated matchups of the week going into it, but we did talk about it last week, and I'm very glad that we did. Number 24 Houston manages to hold off UTSA 37-35 to in three overtimes. This ended up being a spectacular game. What did you guys think about it? I'm honestly confused what to make of it because I don't know if it's just that UTSA is actually a good team or if Houston was just not on par to what people expected them to be this season. Uh, and I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think that UTSA is like last season. Last season, obviously, they had a great season, but I think that they're still a pretty darn good team. And uh, obviously, anytime you're playing in-state, it's going to be a tough game, and Houston just, it, it was impressive of them to be able to hold off uh, UTSA and make sure to get the win, and that's always going to speak volumes for a football team. Even if it's an opponent that you maybe should have beat by a little bit more, it's always very impressive to get these close victories, and it does show a lot of character. Yeah, I, I think UTSA is a really, really good team. I mean, before the season started, and I know we didn't get into Conference USA breakdowns or anything, but I was expecting UTSA to maybe go 8-4 and four this year, 8-4, and 9-3, and three, somewhere in that range, and this was not one of the games I expected them to win. This was one of their few losses I expected them to have, uh, but very impressive to almost come away with the victory. Yes, it was at home, but Houston... Uh, I thought heading into this season, Houston was the best group of five team. Now I've kind of changed my opinion to BYU based on how good they've looked and can't wait to get into that matchup later. But uh, but Houston still, to me, looks 
like a really uh, complete team on offense. Clearly got a lot of issues to work out on defense, and they're going to play in some more high-scoring games. I know they play Texas Tech coming up soon, so uh, they're going to they're gonna have to be tested on defense, and if they don't figure that out soon, then uh, they could end up, even though they came with the victory, playing in the American, they could end up with a uh, rougher season than many expect. Yeah, this was a just a spectacular quarterback battle between Clayton Toon and Frank Harris. Frank Harris actually had two different receivers that had over 100 yards in this game, so uh, don't forget about that at all. And then, you know, Tank Dell of Houston, tremendous offensive weapons. So spectacular matchup there in San Antonio. So with that being said, let's move on to a ranked matchup. Number 19, Arkansas took down number 23, Cincinnati at home, 31-24. to K.J. Jefferson really stole the show in this one, but Cincinnati played pretty hard. Yeah, really impressed by Cincinnati here. I did not expect them to be uh, this good after their last season. I felt like they lost a lot of weapons uh, to the NFL draft, and honestly, I'm impressed by Cincinnati to be able to hang with an SEC team because obviously we're going to have a lot of SEC bias down here, and I mean, it's kind of warranted this season, like every single SEC team besides you know who we'll get into that later but um Arkansas did look really solid throughout this matchup uh KJ Jefferson obviously a really really good quarterback made a lot of the right decisions at the right times Arkansas looks like a team to not be messed with they I think they look legit yeah I I thought Arkansas was very legit heading into this season and uh, I know I mentioned this on the last show but if I had to pick any team to upset Alabama this year just because it's in their home stadium. I would pick Arkansas to upset Alabama because it's going to be played in Fayetteville. Week, I think it's around week five, week six. So that's enough time for Arkansas to have things fully figured out and be able to uh, have a strong game and beat the Crimson Tide. So Arkansas, not a team to be messed with at all. Very complete on both sides. Uh, uh, I would say, you know, the secondary to me wasn't super impressive, but the front seven for Arkansas, the offensive line, which is one of the best in the SEC, and KJ. Jefferson is a fully capable quarterback, and they have a lot of weapons on the ground, too. For that being said, Cincinnati, they were really impressive to me. I thought Arkansas was going to put up a ton of points. I know they put up 31, but I thought it was going to be even more than that because Cincinnati lost so much on defense. Kobe Bryant, Sauce Gardner, Beavers, they lost so many great defensive players, and yet they still uh, managed to kind of hang in this game and, and keep it pretty close. And other than some mistakes, which Cincinnati just shot themselves in the foot so many times with bad penalties, uh, you could see Fickle was very infuriated by that. So uh, to me, Cincinnati really could have won this game. So I think they're they're not a team to be messed with at all. They could win the American again. Yeah, I, I absolutely think Cincinnati has staying power just based on this game. Because like you said, lots of questions with guys leaving like Kobe Bryant, Sauce Gardner, but also on the offensive end too. Because, you know, Ritter's gone. Jerome Ford, the running back, he's gone as well. As is uh, Alec Pierce, the receiver. So now that Ben Bryant had a great game for this team, that's the Cincinnati quarterback, we could see a team that, you know, maybe goes out there and wins the American again, competes with teams like Houston and UCF for that title. So now that we've gotten into one SEC matchup, let's talk about a couple of others, and they happen to be between the SEC and the Pac-12. Georgia just absolutely laid the wood on Oregon this weekend in Atlanta, 49-3. to Bo Nix threw two interceptions. Awful day for the Ducks. Florida hosted Utah, number seven Utah, and honestly, this is probably an early game of the year candidate here. Florida manages to get a clutch interception, wins it 29 to 26. So we talk all the time about overreactions in week one here. Is it already too late for the Pac-12 as far as the college football playoff is concerned? Yes, but also no, because USC still does exist. Yes. And USC, they have that power of brand name that does help you get into the playoffs. Uh, but USC does have a couple matchups here that could be a little bit troubling. They're going to have to play Utah, and they're also going to have to play Notre Dame. And that's a, like, we'll get into it later, but Notre Dame looked pretty good, actually. Yeah. Uh, but the Pac-12, it could end up eating itself alive if Utah beats USC, but I do think they still have a shot just with USC. Yeah, but beyond that, it's it's an ugly conference right that's now. That's what I was going to get into. Is the, It's like this for basketball too, but especially football with the Pac-12. You see two or three lost teams making it into the conference championship, which ends up kind of hurting it a little bit because 
the college football playoff committee, they're really looking for one-loss teams or mm-hmm. unbeaten guys to get in there. So that's one concern I think I would have if I'm a Pac-12 fan at the moment. Yeah, the, the thing with college football is it's all about perfection, and you got to be close to perfect or, or perfect in order to really have a shot at the national championship. Uh, to me... The Pac-12 is pretty much done for because, yes, USC does have the brand recognition. Yes, lots of sports writers, uh, you know, will hype up USC like crazy just because. But to me, if I'm looking at it at the end of the season, and let's just say Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, they do perfectly fine. So who are you going to put in that fourth spot? Are you either going to put in USC coming out of a weak Pac-12 uh Clemson or another ACC team that does really impressive or the Big 12 champion to me the Big 12 conference this year looks really strong and if there's a Big 12 team that goes undefeated uh, or even one loss I would really almost rather value that over an undefeated USC team yes Utah is still pretty great but unfortunately for USC, since Utah lost and Notre Dame lost, if Notre Dame had upset Ohio State, that's a big difference. But unfortunately for USC, these big-time matchups that they've got are against teams that have lost, and uh, to me, they're just not going to have a strong enough resume to get into the playoff, even if they go undefeated. Yeah, speaking of Notre Dame, that's the final Saturday matchup that we are going to look at here. The number 2 Ohio State Buckeyes took down number 5 Notre Dame 21-10 in the horseshoe. The big story here, the Buckeye defense really came to play, shut down this, what I would call a fairly inexperienced Notre Dame offense, just as far as skill players. But, you know, Notre Dame hung around. It was 10-7 to Notre Dame at half. Uh, defense for this team, as usual, came out to play as well. So this ended up being a much better game than we thought, didn't it? Yeah, the incredible game, to be honest. And I was really impressed by Notre Dame, just looked really good honestly even in this loss like the play calling was a little bit questionable at times but um i was really really impressed at tyler buckner uh the freshman qb he just like he really wowed me uh because he was able to get the ball off against that ohio state defense with relative consistency which was really impressive because that pass rush looked insanely lethal especially against a little bit of a weaker offensive line but all around, really good showing for Notre Dame. And honestly, I'm a little bit concerned for Ohio State. Uh, the offense, I feel like, should have been a lot better than they were. Just a lot of missed passes and miscues here and there. And I that's something that gets better on as the season progresses. But I was not as impressed as I feel like I should have been from a team that on paper appears so loaded on offense. Yeah, absolutely. I am going to have to apologize to Notre Dame formally. They are not Notre Lame this year. They are in a lot of years, but this year they actually look very legit on defense. I was extremely impressed. Yes, they lost 21-10, to but that score is misleading because Ohio State scored uh, with less than five minutes left to make it that way, so... Really, Notre Dame, to me, was extremely impressive. They can just get some kind of rhythm going on offense. We know they've got a good offensive line. They can just get the quarterback, uh, Buckner, going in a good rhythm, and he's got a nice dual threat ability, much better than I thought it was. Uh, then Notre Dame, I mean, honestly, you've you've lost the Notre Lame level uh, label. I think you are very good. The team that I'm going to replace there is Oregon, which from now on I'm going to call Oregon because that's really what we saw on the field. I mean, it's making my eyes bleed how terrible they played. Oh, my goodness, that was awful. Georgia scoring seven straight times in a row. Georgia's offense, not known for it. Maybe it's really great this year, but Wow, Oregon played like an FCS team, and, and I'm serious. Samford might play as well against Georgia than Oregon oh did. Oh, boy. That, I mean, that <laughs> was bad. Yeah, it, it was a little rough for Oregon, to say the least. Uh, but back to that Ohio State-Notre Dame matchup, there is a kind of concern. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba did leave this game with an injury, but the reports are saying that he's only going to have to miss a game or two. And you know what? Ohio State's next game is against... None other than the Arkansas State fighting Butch Joneses. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think they're going to be okay without him. 
Yeah, I mean, Arkansas State, though, can tend to actually be a pretty good team. They like, they went 2-10 and ten last year. Eh, historically. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I remember a couple times where Arkansas State looked decent, but no, the, <laughs> that, that'll be a pretty easy game. And I, I got to correct myself real quick. I, I was wrong about Buckner. He's not a freshman. He's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will say if Arkansas State still had that wide receiver, Jonathan Adams, who was yeah. a beast, then, then maybe it'd be a little bit closer. But even then, it's... It, it should really be no contest. I'm sure by that point, uh, Stroud and the other receivers will have, have worked things out uh, because they, they really need to have a better showing on offense. Okay, so now that we're done with that, let's get into our final matchup of this week that we are going to cover. It was Sunday. Florida State took down LSU 24-23 to in New Orleans. And there's really no other way to describe this game other than that it was just a good, bad football game. That's about right. I mean, just <laughs> kind of ugly on the eyes at some points, but really, really entertaining. It's like a, you know, it's like a train crash. You can't look away. <laughs> um, Florida State, though, honestly, it, they impressed me a good bit. Um, even with some of the mistakes they ended up making, Florida State was able to uh, compete really hard in a very, very hostile environment. I don't know if you guys saw some of the videos of the LSU fans screaming uh, drunkenly at the poor oh, yeah. Florida State players. But, I mean, that's every weekend in Baton Rouge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that LSU team uh, played very similar to Brian Kelly's dance moves in his recruiting. I mean, you know it's cringeworthy, but you just, you just can't help but look at it anyways and be like, well – you know, at least they showed up, you know, and show, tried to show something. Uh, but, yeah, they, they really uh, they made a lot of mistakes. People are trying to say Florida State should be ranked uh, because of this. I absolutely disagree. Uh, Florida State really escaped with this win. LSU really should have won. They just shot themselves in the foot so many times. You know, the blocked extra point. I mean, Florida State was practically gifting the game to LSU there, um, and they still managed to lose. I will say Jaden Daniels, he looked better than I thought. Uh, but, wow, there's a lot of drama going on with LSU. Kayshawn Boutte, who knows what's going it, on it's there. It's the whole receiving core that yep. I think is having that problem just with the social media blackouts and everything. So. Yeah, they just they just got to get off yeah, of that. That they, was a wise choice, shutting everything down, honestly, because that's just, like, too many distractions yeah. there. You got to focus – Get ready, because SEC play, it's a gauntlet. Yeah, well, well, good for them for doing that. Um, definitely would say that special teams can kill you if you don't watch out for it, and in this game, it most certainly did for LSU. And, you know, I think this is the second year in a row that Brian Kelly has played a Sunday game in, against Florida State in which he, you know, maybe is in favor of executing his entire team, <laughs> like he said last year when they played down in Tallahassee with Notre Dame. So... I mean, he's going to want to execute the media after his exchange oh, that with them. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was brutal. That's, that's, that's who wow. he's going to want to execute yeah. if they don't execute him first. Yeah, that was, what, a $10 fine that he imposed? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so now that we've gotten through our games that we discussed this past week, let's look at another very, very hot topic of conversation. This Friday, the College Football Playoff Committee announced that they would expand – the college football playoffs to 12 teams starting in the year 2026. What do we think about this decision? There's a lot of, there's a lot of different thoughts swimming around in my head about this. Uh, and I can see, I can see both sides to be honest. Um, I've always been someone who's a little bit too much on the nostalgia train. And so I, I really did love the BCS era just because I feel like with college football playoffs, what happens is in the era of BCS, it was you have to be perfect in order to get to that national championship game. And sometimes there were bad decisions made on who actually got in, but uh, it made the regular season extremely important and all the regular season matchups extremely important because, uh, you know, teams like Bama, who are perennial contenders, if they slip up once in the BCS era, it's uh, their whole season may be in jeopardy and they might not be able to appear in the national championship. With the expansion, they can slip up a couple times and still get in and have an easier path to that national title. But on the other end, I do understand it where uh, because we're already doing a playoff, it makes more sense to have more teams to get that exposure up instead of just letting you know the teams who are already dominating have the biggest share of revenue. 
And there's, there's so many different things that get into this and I'll let you guys take the floor again here. Yeah. I mean, I'm another guy who's big into nostalgia. Uh, I love that there's these bowl games and I can just see that the future is these bowl games are just going to go away. Uh, they're not even going to exist at some point, uh, in the future. Um, but to be honest, I, I do think, you know, if we are going to have a playoff format, it probably should be expanded. But again, uh, just means you're just guaranteeing that Alabama is going to the, go to the playoff every year, which some people will argue, well, they already do. So, <laughs> you know, but um, but I, but it really like now Alabama could lose maybe even three games in the regular season and still end up at number 12 and, and get in. And if they get in and then somebody else at number 13, then people are going to complain, oh, maybe that team should get. In. I mean, people are always going to complain uh, about who gets left out no matter what. Uh, so, again, I think these expansions um, at the end of the day is going to water down the regular season a little bit, going to make it a little bit less meaningful going to take even more away from the other bowl games because now it's like, okay, well, who really cares? Now the best team playing in a bowl game is going to be number 13 at max. So uh, it really doesn't matter that much. Um, And then on top of that, you'll just have more of these playoff matchups that I believe will be blowouts, not really uh, super evenly matched games. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, yeah, it'll be cool for some of these brands to get in, uh, but it just, to me, won't mean quite as much as grinding for years like Cincinnati did to get to that fourth spot to get there or Clemson did for so many years to become a powerhouse. It just doesn't mean uh, quite the same uh, uh, to me. So, but again, I'm in the minority on this. I know the majority of college football fans want to see it expanded. If that's what the majority of fans want, then that's what should be done. At the end of the day, the fans are the consumer and the customer uh, should get what they want. But I'm just saying, in my opinion, I ultimately don't think it's it's that great for the sport. And a lot of people that are pushing this stuff, like ESPN, are pushing it because it'll make them a lot of money. More playoff games means more revenue. Uh, that's why ESPN has been pushing college football playoff uh, talk for so long. Because at the end of the day, for them, it's about making huge money, not necessarily you know what's actually best for the sport. Yeah, there are a lot of thoughts that are swirling around my head with this one. Uh, Devin, for one, I I do understand what you're saying about the uh, the blowouts. That's a concern, a major concern. I mean, you look at, you know, really since 2014, I think we've had maybe six or seven just legitimate games where, you know, it's been, even, a, yeah. been a good one-score game or so, and it's really been competitive between two teams. It just feels like every other game is a blowout in the playoffs, so I completely get what you're saying. Uh, so that's definitely one issue to keep in mind. But I have heard one theory, though, that they may try to have home sites for these playoff games, which I think would be really, really cool. We Absolutely. actually discussed this a little bit be very on cool. the uh, show the other night. Uh, but, you know, like say, I don't, you know, if Alabama is whatever seed, they got to go into, say, like Clemson Death Valley or something mm-hmm. to play in a tough road environment like that. Uh, that would be... A very interesting matchup to watch would definitely spice things up if we uh, did not do neutral venues for our uh, playoff games. And I think another big thing that we're going to see with this is you no longer have guys that are on like the 10th or 12th best team opting out of their bowl game Mm -hmm. because we see it happen every year. And, you know, last year is there's a great example of this. Pittsburgh and Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl, I believe it was, both Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker both opted out of the game. The two of the most exciting players in college football both said, you know what, we're not in the playoffs. I'm just mm-hmm. going to go ahead and get ready for my NFL career. So it definitely takes some fun out of the game when you got guys opting out like that. Yeah, and, it, and I think it uh, – and this is – something that and that is like one of the many concerns as people are looking at the future of college football and saying well because in reality we some of us may look at this and think oh everything's fine college football is doing well it's growing in actuality not everything is perfectly fine as we make it out to be viewership in a lot of ways has gone down um when alabama played ohio state in the in the covid year and yes it was covid but viewership for that national championship was way down from years past Uh, so there has been you know fans slowly losing interest in college football and I think it it angers fans even more when players opt out and I feel like there's this disconnect now between 
fans as the consumer and and players playing in the games because the players obviously are thinking about their NFL future as they should. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not thinking about okay, but this fan you know might have worked for you know his job the whole year, saved up money, maybe even for years to pay for tickets to because tickets are expensive, and to pay for tickets to go to the Peach Bowl or the Rose Bowl, expecting there to be these great players, and they opt out of the out of the games. Uh, that's not going to make that fan want to go back there uh, again. It, and so. Um, I think that a lot of, in a lot of cases, college football and the players have really had a major disconnect with the fans. And so, again, if they're on, you know, having these games at home venues, uh, encouraging players to play in the games, ultimately that might get fans back to being interested in it at the end of the day, then that is the right choice. Yeah. One thing that does make me sad, though, is just how it's becoming more and more of a business and like a quasi-pro league. I agree um, because college football back in the day, you know, it used to be, it used to be kind of how uh, European soccer works, just in the sense that like it's it's small communities banding together for their team, um, and obviously, you know, it's a bit idealistic, but that's one thing I've always really loved about college football is it's very community based, and you know, the U.S. is massive. We don't have the ability to have pro leagues with. Uh, the, like 60 teams uh, to represent all these different regions. But with college football, we have all of our different regions represented and you can, you can have a home team. Like I'm from Boise, Idaho. We don't have any pro sports close to us. Like the closest team is the Utah jazz at five and a half hours away in Salt Lake. Um, so it's, it's really great to have a hometown team. Like it, there's nothing like it. And that's the one thing I love about college football. So it, it is a little bit sad to see it become so commercial, but, I mean, it's it's just kind of how it's shaken out, and we got to roll with it. Yeah, and I, and I love your point about European soccer because uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember the the whole story where you know the biggest brands in European soccer were going to leave their conferences, just like the conference expansion we're seeing with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, big brands that don't even deserve to be in that region just because it geographically doesn't make any sense. Uh, European soccer tried to do that exact same thing two years before, and the fans absolutely revolted. They did not let that happen. They said, this sport will die. We have to have tradition. Then all these billionaires had to go, okay, wait, hold on a second, and then backed off of it. Uh, so I'm not saying people in the U.S. should revolt or, or anything like that, but I am just saying it's unfortunate that over in Europe they were able to the fans were able to fight and keep their traditions, but here in the United States we just have to accept it. Um, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but uh, at the end of the day, that's just the way it's going to be, and change is always constant. So, all right, so we are going to move on. Uh, you know, we could we could talk about that all day long. There's all different kinds of opinions that could come up with that. So with that being said, we're going to look. Just very quickly, the top 25, we did have some headlines this weekend with that. Uh, of course, the one that is nearest and dearest to our heart, Tennessee is now in at number 24. Woo! Yeah, I, I think they're very deserving of being in there. Maybe not very high, but I, I definitely agree with number 24. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely inclined to agree, too. I think it's a perfect spot for us because we still we still have a lot to prove if we want to get any higher. But um, this is kind of a nice, this is kind of what we expected. And it sits right with me to be ranked in the 20 to 25 range. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. Anything higher than 20 at this point would, would be ridiculous. But anything lower than 25, uh, yeah, would also be ridiculous. I think Tennessee has absolutely proven themselves. They've done so well last season. Uh, it, it's unfortunate if they had won that bowl game over Purdue last season, they probably would have already been ranked in the top 25 heading into this season, so they would have been a little bit higher by this point. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot of a lot of tremendous opportunities for Tennessee to prove themselves coming up uh, just over the next few weeks. Uh, it's incredible. So uh, this is very, very uh, promising here. Yes, yeah, so there was another SEC team that made it into the top 25, and they made a significant jump. Florida went from being unranked to sitting at number 12 now. They jumped over half of the top 25 already. Do we think this is a little premature? Absolutely, and I mean, you can make an argument, to be honest, that Utah gifted them this one because Utah did not have to throw at the two-yard line. Um, in the final moments of that Utah-Florida game. So Utah could have very easily walked away with a victory. So while Florida did have a very well-earned victory, I'm 
like obviously I hate Florida. I'm a Vols fan, but I like it was an incredible crowd, incredible victory. But it's I twelve like out of from being unranked to twelve is practically unheard of. Uh, it's a little bit much, and while I do think they should be ranked ahead of Utah, which the AP poll got right, both those teams should be a lot closer to that twenties range. Yeah, absolutely. That that was really the big reason was they probably sat down and said, okay, so Utah was close. We had them at number seven. How far do we want to drop them? Okay, let's drop them about six spots to number 13. And then they went, wait a second, but we were going to have Florida over Utah because they won. I guess we have to put them at number 12. That's the only thing I can think of as to, as to how this jump came to be because that was just the only thing that the writers could just come to an agreement on. But that is such a huge jump. I've never seen a jump that big in, in recent college football. They were at number – because it wasn't just that they were just barely unranked. They were at number 36 overall with the first poll coming out. So they went from 36 to 12 uh, after winning one game – Barely, just barely, at home um, with a major environmental advantage. Like I think one thing that's not being talked about enough with that game is that the swamp, it was so humid, and the Utah players, they – they talked about throughout the game. They tried to simulate it at home, but they just yeah. you just can't simulate it's, that. It's hard to simulate an environment like that. And I just, just to confirm here, we all agree that Florida should be ranked. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. The thing is – In the top 20, too, yes, by the way. In the top 20, but the thing is, you know, if just personally, if it were me, I would put them between probably a, like a 16 or a 20 spot, definitely not Same. up there at number 12. So especially since one or two plays could have like just changed the whole the whole game. I mean, Utah runs the ball, runs it in for a touchdown. They're the victors. Yeah. So it's just crazy. It, it definitely crazy to see a, uh, you know, a jump like that happen. Uh, speaking of top 25 jumps or rather falls, uh, NC State fell five spots to number 18 from number 13 despite winning at East Carolina, which I thought was a little bit wild. Mm -hmm. And then the other big one that was interesting, Michigan actually jumped Clemson after Clemson. You know, they won by 31, but it was kind of an unimpressive 31, if we're being totally honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, Michigan jumping Clemson um, – not not too not too crazy because Michigan. I know they played Colorado State. Yeah, they're horrible. Yeah, Colorado, State's, Colorado pretty State's pretty bad, and it was at home. But Michigan dominated completely, and they looked like a very very complete team. And that was with Cade McNamara um, putting up pretty average numbers. We'll have to see what JJ McCarthy does in Week Two. But if McCarthy has an even decent game, he could likely steal that starting uh, spot because McNamara he just continued to be more of a game manager that game, and yet uh, Michigan still dominated and won easily. And you can't move Texas A&M up because they didn't look terribly impressive no. against Sam Houston State. And obviously Utah falls. And then so beyond that, I mean, there wasn't really anybody else you could move up. So it was either Clemson staying in that spot despite not looking too impressive against one of the worst teams in the ACC in Georgia Tech um, or moving Michigan past them. So to me, that, that does make sense. NC State dropping five spots. I think that's pretty harsh, though. Uh, they still got the victory. They had to go on the road to get it done. And East Carolina is a pretty decent team. They have a good offense, a much better defense than uh, we were expecting. So I was expecting NC State to drop like two spots, but five spots, that's a bit extreme. Yeah, dropping NC State that far is a little bit much. And I mean, if you look at the history of that matchup between NC State and ECU, uh, it's a pretty intense rivalry that's always competitive. Uh, which I, you see rivalries be way more competitive all the time. So, yeah, they should drop a little bit because they looked really shaky, but five is a little bit much. As for Michigan, incredible performance by them. I'm honestly really, really impressed. I think they look better than they did last year, to be honest. Uh, so that could be really interesting to see how the Big Ten shakes out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so with that being said, we are actually going to move on to our predictions for next week just for the sake of time here. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, first matchup here, another very underrated matchup. We got UTSA at Army. Both of these teams had some very close losses week one. Obviously, we saw or we covered that three overtime loss uh, that UTSA had to Houston. Army lost by 10 to Coastal Carolina in week one. You know, Coastal Carolina has been a team that's been talked about a lot really since 2020. So who do we think comes out on top of this one? 
give me UTSA. Uh, they looked really impressive, and I, I just think that they came off a much more difficult loss, and they're going to be really, really hungry for a win. Uh, even though they are playing at Army, which makes it difficult, uh, especially with all the tanks and helicopters and whatnot that Army will throw against them. But uh, give me UTSA. Yeah, I mean, UTSA is going to have to go into the military, and they're going to get five stars for breaking into the military base there at Army for sure. Uh, as a result, I'm going to pick Army to win this game. I think Army will come out with a lot of uh, passion and fire, also coming off a loss, playing at home. To me, they're both really close. But Army's defense, once again, I think will be legit enough to stop UTSA's offense. You know, Devin, I'm actually going to go with you on that one. I like Army here. Uh, the triple option does weird things to people, let me tell it's you. true. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Coastal Carolina runs a triple, op triple option-esque kind of offense a little bit, too. I mean, obviously, Grayson McCall is a better passer than most guys you'll see that run in that system. But, you know, they, they kind of knew the drill. They knew what they were up against with Army. I don't think UTSA necessarily does as much. For that reason, I'm going to have to go with Army. Uh, so speaking of UTSA, our next matchup is number 25, Houston, at Texas Tech. Obviously, like we just said, Houston's coming off a close loss. These two actually met last year. Uh, Texas Tech got the win 38-21. Does that change this year? I Honestly, I'm feeling Texas Tech again. Um, I think that Texas Tech has been a well-coached team for a while, um, and they're always – they're always famous for their air raid offenses, and I think that they're just going to be able to uh, use that home field advantage to knock off an in-state rival because rivalries, again, so important to college football and something that ultimately helps a lot of teams get that extra edge to win, even though Houston is looking strong and ranked. Yeah, Houston is looking for revenge, though. Revenge can do a lot of things, but to me, if Texas Tech can win by that much at Houston, I feel like they could uh, do it again at home. So I'm going to go with the Red Raiders on this one. I do not see that big of a point swing, and considering how Houston showed a lot of weaknesses, and I don't care that Tyler Shuck is out or, or not, Donovan Smith uh, was their MVP in their bowl game last year when they blew Mississippi State way out of the water, uh, which I was not expecting last year when that happened. But Donovan Smith is a fully capable quarterback of beating Houston, so I'm going to go with Joey McGuire and the Red Ra Raiders here. I'm actually going to go with Houston here. Um, I don't know if it's because there's a number 25 next to their name. I think it's probably more because of the offensive weapons that they have. You know, Clayton Toon is a really fun player to watch on offense. Tank Dell, of course spectacular as well uh probably the greatest receiver that a lot of people haven't heard of in the college game right now oh absolutely but you know i i really like houston in this one i do uh so that's that matchup let's move on to our next one it's the cyhawk trophy iowa state at iowa uh this matchup actually really hasn't been much of a rivalry as of late iowa hasn't lost since 2014 but after that ugly performance last week do we like them to win it again um, so for this one, I'm going to say this all hinges upon Iowa's offense. And by offense, I mean their defense's ability to score points. <laughs> um, How so, many pick sixes will they have? Yeah, How many yeah, safeties will safeties. they have? <laughs> um, so if, I mean, honestly, I, I don't see Iowa losing just because, you know, Kinnick Stadium is a tough environment to play Absolutely. in for anyone. Um, and, you know, I think that Iowa's offense probably got uh, raked over the coals in uh, the post game uh, film study. So I think that they'll come back looking to impress their coach. And I, Iowa State hasn't looked too amazing uh, this year. And so I just give me Iowa. You know, I, it's, it's hard to break tradition. Uh, I mean, but to me, win streaks are meant to be broken. So I'm going to roll with Iowa State and this one. I was so torn because to me, this is the most 50 50 matchup of this weekend and Kinnick Stadium is one of the toughest places to play in the country but Matt Campbell is an incredible coach at Iowa State their team uh, played a way more complete game in their week one matchup yes it was against a much worse team but still uh, I think they gained a lot of confidence from that I think they saw how badly Iowa performed on offense and think that they can really take down the Hawkeyes they've been wanting to take out the Hawkeyes so I'm going to go with the Cyclones in this one yeah, so Iowa State obviously had a great game against an FCS team. Iowa obviously won a close one, but also against an FCS team. 
But, you know, as a Tennessee fan, I've seen so many just close losses to teams like Florida just years in a row, just again and again and again. We've got a similar situation here with Iowa State, and the fact that they're going into Iowa this year, I'm going to have to go with the Hawkeyes on that one. I, I really am. Uh, so I like them to win this one. I uh, kind of bounce back after that very iffy offensive performance from week one. So up next, we've got number 10 USC at Stanford. And if you are a fan of keeping traditions tradition in college football, you are a fan of keeping USC and Stanford playing each other in the Pac-12, despite the fact that USC is moving into the Big Ten. Uh, what do we think about this matchup? So this one's actually really interesting because this, uh, if you're f- not from the West or the West Coast, you don't really get a sense of how big this rivalry really is. These teams really, really do not like each other. Uh, those interstate California rivalries are pretty intense. Uh, and I just think that this is going to be a very competitive game, even though I do think that USC takes it because their week one game, they looked exceptionally strong and just the offense ran wild. And I don't see Stanford being able to match the points of USC's offense, even if USC's defense lets up here. Yeah, Stanford has pulled off some crazy upsets at home over the last few years, like beating Oregon uh, last year, for instance. But this is the Austin Jones revenge game. Austin Jones transferred from Stanford to USC. He's asserted himself as the Trojans' starting running back, which I thought was going to be Travis Dye, but now Austin Jones has got it. I think Jones is going to have an incredible game. Give me the Trojans in this one. Yeah, I, I like the Trojans to win it here as well. Uh, you know, I, I just think a revenge game uh, for Stan- well, just, just against Stanford. You know, they've there's been so much back and forth in this rivalry uh, for years now. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, the fate of the college football playoff for uh, the Pac-12 really depends on USC. It's t- – at this point, so give me the Trojans of this one. So up next, we're actually going to stay out west. We got another ranked matchup. It's between number nine Baylor and number twenty-one BYU. These two met each other last year in Waco. Baylor got the win, thirty-eight to twenty-four. Is it going to be the same this year? I don't think so. Lavelle Edwards is a really tough place to play. Um, and here's the thing. Here's the thing about Lavelle Edwards. Mormons cannot swear, so they find other ways to get into your head. Their insult game is absolutely insane, and sometimes they get into your head by being nice to you. I think Baylor's going to struggle with this tough Mormon crowd, and BYU's going to be able to pull it off. Just And honestly, on the field, BYU has looked pretty incredible too, uh, just being able to put together a really strong game on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I want everybody to you know drink their coffee, drink the rain. Mormon, you can't do that. Uh, that is true. Maybe can they drink energy drinks? No, no caffeine for them. Okay, never mind <laughs> then. So, but I do believe this will be one of the best games of the weekend. Even though it's so late at night, I like the I like BYU to win this game too. I think Baylor is going to get surprised. BYU is a really tough home environment. I think uh, their incredible uh, dual threat quarterback in a Hall is going to find a way to to get things done. I think the offense is going to do well enough. Uh, and, and their coach uh, is just absolutely incredible, too. I think he's going to help them win this game. Yeah, guys, I'm going to go with you on this one. I like BYU uh, just because I think Baylor, you know, despite getting a big win last week against an FCS opponent in Albany, I think that the offensive skill players that they've got are just a little bit inexperienced, and I like what BYU's got coming back there. I'm going to have to go with the Cougars on this one. So now let's shift over to SEC country a little bit. Appalachian State is playing Texas A&M in Kyle Field. Of course, we already talked about Appalachian State coming off a pretty crazy matchup from week one. Texas A&M beat Sam Houston State 31 to nothing. That was not a very impressive 31 to nothing. Haynes King threw a pick, or two picks, one touchdown and two picks is what I meant to say. Uh, how do we think this one will end up? I, I, I think Texas A&M will end up winning pretty unimpressively. How about you guys? I'm inclined to agree, but uh, this is one I don't really know what to make of uh, just because Texas A&M did not look impressive in their win. And uh, shockingly enough, it didn't really feel like the fans at Kyle Field got too into that game either, which is bizarre to see um, out of that crowd because usually they're the best in the nation. So if App State gets that kind of weaker Kyle Field, I think they're able to rack up a lot of points potentially, but Texas A&M's defense is really good. So it's a tough matchup here. 
Uh, but I do think that home field advantage is pretty unparalleled for Texas A&M, and they're able to, you know, scrape together a Jimbo Fisher-style win. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll with Texas A&M just because the talent edge between the two teams is so significant that I, I can't pick against the Aggies to lose this game. And I think if Haynes King struggles again, which is all possible, they have two other very capable quarterbacks right behind him and Max Johnson and Connor Wiegman. And I really thought Johnson should have been the starter to begin the year, but King, of course, does have a lot of uh, uh, capabilities, a lot of potential uh, at the end of the day, though, I got to pick the Aggies to win this one. All right, so staying in the state of Texas, number one Alabama travels to Austin to play the Longhorns. This is college game day. Are we really buying the hype with this matchup? No. It's quite simply no. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be really cool to see uh, Alabama play at Texas just because, you know, it, uh, Daryl K. Royal Stadium is always a great venue to have a football game. Um, but Bama's just going to take this one. Uh, no doubt about it. it. It's Alabama. Yeah, I, I got to roll with the Crimson Tide on this one. I think this will be no contest. No pun at intended all. there, Devin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, they're going to roll all over Texas here. Uh, I will say, interestingly enough, Texas at home did play that great LSU, Joe Burrow's LSU they team did. pretty close. I feel like this Alabama team is kind of on that same level, on uh, getting close to that. But uh, at the end of the day, that LSU team still won. I think this Alabama team will win by even more at Texas. I'm, yeah, I'm not I, impressed. I, I saw that the line was sitting at minus 17 for Alabama it's since gone up to minus 20 I, I think you got to hit that one if you're a betting man yeah. I've definitely got to go with Alabama here yeah. I don't think there's any other way to put it now it was clever by Sarkeesian in their first game did not have a, a whole lot of complicated plays against yeah. against ULM the very basic offense so he hit a lot of his tricks but tricks don't seem to work against Alabama yeah so with that being said we're going to actually stick to the big 12 and SEC here uh, Mizzou is taking on K-State in Manhattan. These are two teams that used to play, I think, every year in the Big 12 back when they were conference opponents. Uh, this this is an interesting matchup. A couple teams that, you know, aren't really considered great football programs. Uh, you know, they're kind of happy with six to eight win seasons. Who do we like here? I'm going to say I'm going to go with Mizzou just because I think that Mizzou, although they didn't look as impressive as K-State in their week one matchup, I think that Mizzou has some really talented players that are able to make things happen for them, even if their game most of the time looks really disjointed. I think that they're still able to use that talent and just raw skill to overpower K-State. Um, so give me Mizzou. This game will be a lot like uh, App State and UNC that we saw from this past weekend. Maybe not quite as many points, but I think a, a score fest. I like Missouri to win this one. If it's a matchup like that, they do have the better offense and more weapons. So give me the Tigers. So let me tell you about a guy named Deuce Vaughn that plays for mm -hmm. Kansas State. Incredible player. Not a very big running back at all, but he can run all over you. He can catch passes. You know who he reminds me of? Darren Sproles. <laughs> I mean, just the like exact him. same build, you know, spectacular running back coming out of Kansas State. And I think this guy is going to be the difference in the game for Kansas State. For that reason, I'm going to have to go with the Wildcats here. I think Deuce Vaughn is a real difference maker for this team. So give me Kansas State in this one all day long. All right, so back into SEC country, number 23 Wake Forest going to Vanderbilt. And these two used to play every year during rivalry week. Not too long ago, I think 2013 was the last time they did, and then they shifted it back to Vandy and Tennessee during rivalry week. But we thought this one would, you know, maybe Vandy would have a, a legitimate shot to, you know, hang around, maybe even pull off an upset with them. But we got some big news yesterday. Sam Hartman is now cleared to play from whatever difficulties, conditions he was going through there. So with that being said, I, I don't think, Wake Forest really has any chance of getting beaten this one anymore. Um, I don't know if Vandy's undefeated season ends here. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Uh, they barely beat Elon last week, 42 to 31. Uh, the Vandy hype is kind of over now. Although I, I know that they will eventually win the college football playoff. Um, I just I don't think this is their year anymore. It's just doesn't have that feeling anymore. Yeah, I mean, Clark Lee predicted it. He'd say they'd won, win the national championship in a few years. You know what? Hey, he predicts it. 
Maybe they will. Uh, you know what, though? I actually am going to pick Vanderbilt to win this game. I think Vanderbilt comes up with some huge defensive plays. Uh, who knows how Hartman's going to look uh, coming back into this game. He really is the X factor in this one. If he looks like the old Sam Hartman, it's no contest. If he comes into this game very rusty, Vanderbilt could pull off the upset. I'm going to go with the latter. I, I got the Commodores winning this one in the most hyped-up uh, Vanderbilt home game in years. All right, so up next we're going to go to Tucson, Arizona. Mississippi State is playing Arizona in Tucson this week, and this is a team that Mike Leach has some familiarity with. You know, he went, he coached at Washington State, played Arizona here and there. Uh, both of these teams actually got pretty good wins against a group of five teams last week. So who do we think has more momentum going into this game? I'm going to have to say Arizona on this one, actually, because they had this ridiculous uh, losing streak going for quite some time. Um, just had a horrible football program for like the yeah, last wor- three Worst years. team in Power 5 last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they have been for a, a while now, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then they, they went to San Diego State uh, and picked up the victory against them, which honestly really impressive. Uh, I believe San Diego State was playing in their new stadium. Uh, and San Diego State tends to always have a pretty solid and respectable football team over there in the Mountain West. So I think that Arizona is actually going to be able to take this one, especially if those uh, party school kids stay throughout at least two quarters. <laughs> yeah, it, what what's tough, tough for Mississippi State is it's so late at night. They have to travel out such a long ways. But I feel like they kind of got a little battle-tested from that because their game against Memphis got delayed so it long, did. and they had to play so late, and they had no, you know a lot of their fans left because of the bad weather. So I think that actually helps Mississippi State in this one, and I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. I think Mississippi State goes on the road, gets the victory. Yeah, that, that's a good point you bring up, that they had to play so late this past week. But, Dom, I'm going to go with you. I like Arizona here just because I've, I've just – looked at some of the historical patterns of Mike Leach, there always seems to be that one game in non-conference that he loses every year that it feels like he just shouldn't. You know, last year it was Memphis. I'm pretty sure they lost to, like, Portland State when he was at Washington State as well or somebody like that. So I'm definitely going to have to go with Arizona in this one for that reason. So now let's look at a couple of SEC matchups between SEC teams. This should be fun. We got number 20 Kentucky going to number 12 Florida. Kentucky won this matchup last year, and they've won two of four recently, which doesn't sound like a lot, but since 1986, they've only won twice. Uh, Do we like Kentucky to win it again this year? Honestly, I'm going to say no. Um, I don't really buy the Kentucky hype too much this year. They haven't really shown me anything that really makes me feel confident in their team. And playing Florida in the swamp, I think those fans are going to show up again in a big way. And I don't think Kentucky has, you know, the pedigree or mental fortitude to be able to withstand an environment like that and come away with a really key victory. And I think that Anthony Richardson is just going to be able to run all over this Kentucky team and they're not going to be able to do much about it. Well, yeah, I think revenge is going to be a huge motivator for Florida. After they went on the road and lost to Kentucky last year, that really spelled the, uh, you know, the downward spiral of the Gators team last season. A lot of those players remember that. And now that it's at home, I think the Gators have a huge edge. I was not too impressed with Kentucky in week one. Sure, Miami, Ohio is kind of tough, but Kentucky offensively, Will Levis did not find the replacement to Wandell Robinson or Josh Ali. There just wasn't that go-to receiver. And so I think Kentucky's really going to struggle there. I think Levis is really going to struggle. I like the Gators to win this one. I, I like Florida here as well. And this is, again, just me looking at historical patterns here. Mark Stoops, since Kentucky had that first 10-win season, they've really had one impressive road win against a ranked opponent. It was against Florida in 2018. That was Dan Mullen's first year as well. Uh, but, you know, you look at some of the other ones. They lost to Texas A&M that same year. Uh, lost to Mississippi State last year in Starkville. Have not done well against Georgia. Obviously, they came in here and beat us a couple years ago, but Jarrett Garantano threw that game. Uh, so I've I've got to go with Florida here. I just don't like the look of a hostile environment for Kentucky this early in the season. So our, our other uh, interconference matchup is going to be South Carolina at number 16, Arkansas. These two used to play each other annually. Uh, I think that stopped about when Missouri and Texas A&M joined the conference mm-hmm. back in 2012. Uh, but the last time these two played, I think it was 2017, and 
Brett Bielema was kind of on the way out, and South Carolina really kicked him pretty hard. I think it was like 49 to 20-something. It was, it was pretty bad, whatever it was. But these are two completely different teams now. Uh, what do we like here? Arkansas is definitely the team I'm taking here. Uh, I know that South Carolina has been good with Beamer, and I do like Beamer, and I think that he's a good coach. But I think that Arkansas has kind of, with that last game, I feel like they're one of the most consistent like teams in the nation right now and just how they play. And I think that Arkansas is going to be rock solid throughout the season, and I don't really see them. I just see them playing good football where they don't make a ton of mistakes. And I think that for South Carolina to win, Arkansas has to make a lot of mistakes. And I just I think that Arkansas just takes this one pretty easily. Yeah, I, th- I think this will be a blowout, honestly. I think Arkansas beats South Carolina by a lot. I'm still decently high on the Gamecocks, but Spencer Rattler did not impress me at all. And, and that offense uh, really did not look super good. Uh, they had to win their week one game using special teams, defense, uh, things that I, I don't think will work as well against uh, against the Hogs. So I'm going to roll with Arkansas to win this one big. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Devin. Uh, Spencer Rattler really did not impress me week one. A touchdown and two picks, kind of like what we saw with Haynes King over there at Texas A&M, just really did not impress me. And, yeah, I mean, Georgia State, they've done well recently against SEC teams for some reason. But that still should not be a team that you're supposed to, you know, just perform poorly as a a quarterback against. So I, I got Arkansas winning this one pretty handily. And now the matchup you have all been waiting for, number 24 Tennessee at number 17 Pittsburgh. This is a revenge game for Tennessee. Pittsburgh beat the Vols last year here in Neyland, 41-34. Can they get that revenge? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what a lot of people thought last year here in Knoxville is, well, if Hendon Hooker played that entire game, we would have won. And here's where Hendon Hooker gets to play that entire game. And I'm with the crowd here. I think we're going to win. Honestly, primarily because Pitt looked really shaky against West Virginia, less so than I am pure confidence in Tennessee, which I do think that confidence in Tennessee is founded right now. It's just that Pitt looked way, way too shaky uh, last week for me to have confidence in them right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think Tennessee is a much better team than West Virginia. I am not that high on the Mountaineers. So the fact that it came that close while Pittsburgh was at home, uh, I know it's a rivalry, but this is almost kind of a rivalry also, the Johnny Majors Classic. I'm going to roll with the Volunteers on this one. I think they get their revenge. Huge road win for the Vols. Yeah, I I like Tennessee here too, guys. Uh, Dom, like you said, Hendon Hooker did not play the entire game. You know, Joe Milton... We don't like to root for injuries, obviously, but you know if, if he doesn't go down, how does the rest of the season look? Uh, so I definitely like Tennessee to win, and you know Keaton Slovis didn't have a bad game necessarily, no. but you know I, it's just a completely different offense that they got now. So I'm going to have to go with the Vols to win it up at Pittsburgh. That's going to do it for us today on this episode of Neyland's Basement for Devin Hoke, Dominic Throngard. I am Tucker Harlan. We will see you next week.